Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the Talking Pharmacy Extra podcast with me, Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. I'm joined by Rob Darikot, Director of Policy and External Affairs at Communications International Group, to discuss the eagerly awaited final report from the UK Commission on Pharmacy Professional Leadership. Now, this was published earlier this month and contains... I think it's fair to say some far-reaching recommendations on the future of pharmacy leadership in the UK with significant implications for the profession as a whole. Coming up, we're going to hear from one of the co-chairs of the Commission, Nigel Clark, in conversation with Rob. But let's quickly recap on the main recommendations of the uh, Commission. Now, the idea was to come up with a, a coherent federated UK-wide professional leadership framework. And there are five key themes to the proposals, five uh, overarching recommendations, I suppose. The headline one, really, uh, comes under the heading of leadership, policy, and professionalism. And that's the formation of a transitional pharmacy leadership council, charged with the task of developing a federation involving existing professional leadership bodies and specialist professional groups with an independent chair and other expert members. Now, the remaining recommendations cover areas such as regulatory support, regional, country and international relations and engagement, scope of practice for future pharmacy professionals and professional education and training. We've reported on these in detail in Pharmacy Magazine, P3 Pharmacy uh, and our other titles. So check out the magazines and uh, our websites for more information. There's a lot to take in. Uh, there's a lot in there. So let's now hear then from Nigel Clark talking to Rob. Uh, the sound isn't fantastic, but it's a, a really good interview. What are the main takeouts from the Commission's report, the most important bits, if you like, that pharmacists should turn to and consider first? It's entirely forward-looking. And there are some very big challenges facing the profession uh, going forwards, um, change taking place, expectations are changing quite markedly, not only from the public, but of course from other healthcare professions and from employers, especially the NHS. Um, and it's a question of making sure that the framework is in place to make sure that, that, that pharmacy professionals are properly supported to be able to, to meet those challenges. And so... How would you describe, as co-chair, how would you describe the key recommendations that, that come out of the, the report, the Commission? Really four strands, principally. Um, first, getting on top of scope of practice going forwards. So getting in place infrastructure to keep abreast of current emerging developments, making sure that um, it, there is a proper understanding of the scope of practice as it develops and what is required then beyond that um, uh, changing roles, of course, alongside that, uh, patient, not just patient-facing roles, but of course, but roles in laboratories, roles in research, etc. Um, all of that's got to be there, and people have got to know about it. And I think it's important that professional leadership is making sure that that, that pharmacy, pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians are, are up for that. Consequent upon that, continuous professional uh, education training. Um, you know, what additional uh, skill sets do people want to acquire? What additional qualifications do they want to have to, to advance their careers? Um, what additional things will they need to know about and to have done courses on or whatever? 
who is going to quality manage that process. Ultimately, of course, that then comes to regulation because a regulator of quality is short those sorts of things. So there needs to be a relationship with the regulator going forward to make sure that the public, um, uh, that public safety is properly addressed with all these things, but also the public know what's going on, know what to expect from pharmacists when they, uh, and pharmacy technicians. Uh, and uh, within that, there is going to need to be an infrastructure for that kind of thing whether it's provided by the professional leadership body or actually by others to be determined, that's a matter for the profession, I think, substantially, but the regulator needs to understand it. Then there's a big piece about um, communication um, and just making sure that within um, those sorts of frameworks, uh, individual members of, of bodies, and there are several different bodies, professional leadership bodies involved, specialist groups as well, that they are properly supported and that that's everything from having local groupings where people could talk about practice locally can discuss issues that come up talk in a safe place with their colleagues about what's going on to regional stuff national stuff as well issues around that so all those sorts of communications uh, and in amongst that all those things that probably already happen it's just simply a case of making sure that everybody knows they're there and is gaining full benefit from them and ultimately, what's the structure by which you do that? Well, as you've seen, we've recommended a collaborative leadership council to start with. And the reason we're doing that is because our feeling is that although a lot of very good work is all done, it's done in a very diverse way. There are quite a number of different bodies that bring different sets of skills and experience to this, all of whom need to be part of professional leadership in pharmacy going forwards. So that's the reason we propose that. What we have not proposed is that if individual bodies should be, you know, in some way merged, that would be entirely a matter of them. Um, the the distinct, distinctions of one body or another, those boundaries are, are preserved, but the ability to collaborate is critical. Okay. Um... Yeah, that scope of practice thing seems to me to be absolutely crucial. Yes, yeah. it lies at the heart of it all. Yeah. Um, and I thought the ambition to do that within a year was actually quite a credible one. I think that will be, that will really focus the minds, wouldn't it? Um, I hope so, because, I mean, if nothing else, there are some things, of course, that one doesn't quite know. You don't know how quickly some skill sets are going to be needed, but at the same time, you've got to start thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. So... I mean, most of the people who listen to our stuff are community pharmacists and many of them are no longer members of their professional body. Um, though they obviously they remain registered um, and they are probably a member of one or more trade bodies. They may even be a member of a trade union. Um, so they might ask, why do professional bodies and professional leadership matter? And do you think people understand the difference between the various bodies and what they can and can't do? Um, on the latter point, the experience suggests that uh, not everyone does. I mean, there have always been people who thought, for example, they were members of the GPHC rather than registrants, um, because they hadn't sort of seen the distinction between the RPSGB and subsequent arrangements. But um, uh, I think there is definitely a feeling at the moment that, that people don't, the answering the question what's in it for me is not one that come that people understand in other words they look at it and they say well i don't, 
something of like good value to me. And I think what's needed, therefore, is something that does two things. One, um, the professional body should be there to, to, to raise the standing of the profession and its core aspirational values to provide the best possible service to patients and the public. And, and if it is doing that and doing it very well, which also means speaking truth to power, as it were, advising government, making representations when necessary on professional issues, um, and talking to other healthcare professions and employers about professional issues and clinical issues and so forth. Um, if it is doing that, then it will be seen as a body worth joining. You want to be a member of an organisation that is having that kind of impact and where the leaders of your profession are standing up and being heard. But on top of that, you also need to make sure that the organisation is providing the support, practical support, that enables people to do their job as well as possible, but also to advance their own careers. Um, and I think those are the things that have got to be in place in order for people to say, right, um, that is an organisation I wish to belong to. It will not be, it'll never be mandatory to be a member of a professional body. Right. And you you um, took evidence, you had presentations from a number of professional bodies. So if, if pharmacists wanted to look for an example of a professional body that demonstrates those qualities, where would you suggest they have a look? Well, I think some of the, um, uh, the medical royal colleges, the Royal College of Physicians, where uh, uh, Dame Jane Dacre, my co-chair, uh, was, was president, is an excellent organisation and, and actually represents a lot of this. They have quite a large number of faculties, specialist faculties, that make up the whole. Those are all separate organisations, as it were, but they are all part of the RCP. It's a good model to look at. Um, speaking from a personal point of view, I, I spent 10 years working with the European Society of Cardiology, which is an excellent professional leadership body. Same kind of thing. Um, so if you, for example, were looking at anywhere here, the, the guidelines for best practice, um, that kind of thing, you expect people, professionals to come together and issue those for use by members of public as a whole. Um, those, are, those bodies both do that kind of thing and do it well. Um, but I think any of the large royal colleges would certainly illustrate that. Yeah. And do you see any differences in the sort of people who end up leading professional bodies across the professions? Have we got the right people involved? And there's a very fundamental point here. Um, the answer to that, I suspect, has been not, not all the time previously. There are all sorts of reasons why people choose not to get engaged with their professional body. Um, and they, they, they are varied, but one of them is definitely time. Um, especially for leaders of the profession, they are often doing busy, complex jobs um, and haven't got the time to do it. And, and there is definitely really in this country a tendency for employers not in the last 15 years not to give people the time. Whereas actually, I think even the careful examination of this would show that giving your leading people in your organisation time to spend on professional body activity is actually a benefit to your organisation as well as them, um, both in terms of attracting people to your organisation because the leaders of the profession work there, to also making sure that people are up to speed with, with latest developments, best practice um, and fresh new thinking in, within the profession. So I think that... that there is a need to 
for people who are going to senior people who are going to do that to feel that they are being properly valued and that they are going to meet in in the professional body people of similar standing to themselves with whom they can continue to develop the profession um, but disengagement happens at all levels frankly and i think everybody needs to feel that the organization is worthy of their time and effort yeah so <clears throat> i agree with all of that actually i think that's really important and i think I, th I do think it used to be better than it has been in the very recent past in that giving of time or allowing people to go and do that and supporting them in doing that um so if your report has the desired effect what will community pharmacists see that's different um i hope one greater visibility both internally for the professions but also for uh, externally with other healthcare professions and governments, employers and so forth. Um, I think better support for them in practice, um, whether that's reinvigorated local networks, um, whether it's the provision of advice, whether it's also better ideas of ways in which they can advance their careers, acquisition of further skills, support for things they wish to do. In the short term, there is going to need to be significant professional support around the uh, introduction of independent prescribing across many more people than previously. And the issues that surround that, which isn't just going to be a case of is that the correct prescription for that person, but lots of other issues around how you manage patients and how different healthcare professionals play a part as part of a team in doing that. This is going to be undoubtedly brought to a, a point of focus, I think, by independent prescribing. So you want that sort of support in place. Those are the key things, I think, at the, at the beginning. Yeah. There was something you said at the beginning of that um, that I know Rich and I want to talk about, which is the um, the sort of loss of loss of opportunities for um, professional. We called it professional socialization certainly in early years practice that and it may be partly you know and the, obviously the pandemic and lockdowns haven't helped but the the lack of opportunities for, for to meet senior senior members of the profession in your locality i think is is a real has been a real loss okay um it's been suggested that you're that the need for the review is a bit of an indictment of the bodies currently claiming to be offering professional leadership and the path that you set one of them in particular on just over a decade ago, what would you say to that? Um, well, I think, frankly, the world is a different place than it was 10 years ago, not least because of the pandemic, of course, but, and the way in which that's changed public expectation of pharmacy and a better idea, frankly, in certain quarters of, of what pharmacists can do. You've only got to look at the vaccination programme no, let's not kid ourselves, pharmacy could easily have done that four years ago, but it's now done it. Yeah. And if that isn't an illustration to, to the NHS as a whole, that there is a large, very capable workforce that actually, with the right support, can do a lot more in terms of public health. Um, I don't know what is. I mean, um, I mean, a couple of points one would make there, though, that um, there are clearly some huge workforce challenges at the moment. And I think part of what this needs to do is to say, what can a professional body do to support pharmacists and pharmacy technicians to make sure that the structures are permitted that allows them to do the job that actually is using their training to maximum effect. Um, and let's be clear, I, I've never disagreed 
basic proposition that if I walk in as a layperson, member of the public, I walk into a pharmacy, I expect to find a pharmacist there. And I don't think I'm speaking remotely anything other than the vast majority of people in that respect. But I don't necessarily want that pharmacist to be to be selling me a you know box of kelpel. I actually really am thinking that I'm, I'm going to benefit from their advice, uh, professional clinical advice on aspects to do with my medicines, to my health, and to do with staying well. I think there's a whole lot more that clearly is coming down the road around um, you know straightforward sort of you know, straightforward diagnostics around around people with long-term conditions, which can be managed through pharmacies. And especially if you've got you know diagnostic kit that can be used at home and communicated through to a pharmacy so you can see if your medicines the regime is working properly, etc. All of those things I think are things that couldn't really could happen ten years ago. And I think that we shouldn't underestimate that the, the fact that the public have great confidence in pharmacists now is actually a moment for the NHS to realise that this is an investing in pharmacy is worth doing. But that means in pharmacists themselves, pharmacy technicians have got to invest in themselves at the same time. It is a kind of co-production, as it were. But I think that the main thing I'd say is that I think that there is a much better appreciation now of what the skill set of pharmacists, community pharmacists, can actually do. And that's a big difference from 10 years ago. Okay. And what have you made of what have the, you made as responses to, to the commission so far? You I encouraged? Think, yeah, very much so, actually. I, I think there's a recognition that people say, well, this is a, we've got to grasp this opportunity. Um, and the fact that it, the theme is one of collaboration, it is very encouraging that all the various different bodies are stepping forward and saying, yes, and we, we want to be involved. We, we, you know, we need to be there. And the, as long as we can maintain, as it goes forward, overall, a sense that everybody is respected and right to be there, then I think there's every chance that that would succeed. Um, so, yes, broadly speaking, I am. I mean, I think one of the interesting things, too, about it is there is a recognition that the various different types of body in, in pharmacy um, are doing different jobs. And this is a distinct role in professional leadership that is not the same as a trade body, not the same as a trade union. All of those are vital parts of the, of, of, of the, of the scenery. But this is another one and is different. Um, and most of the response we've heard has very much echoed that. Good. And so what what precisely happens next? Well, um, obviously, we reported to the four chief pharmacists. But in doing that, I think that largely because they, of course, they set the thing up in the first place because they wanted to be sure that the professional leadership arrangements in place would support their own ambitions for where they thought pharmacy should go. Um, but our recommendation for Collaborative Leadership Council um, will need their input initially, but it absolutely and crucially depends on the pharmacy organisations, professional leadership bodies and the specialist groups coming together rapidly to form the core of it. Because in a sense, as, this, as it emerges from its interim initial stage, which I think is three years maximum, it will need to be owned and entirely run by pharmacy. Um, 
and the government engagement is solely, I think, to get it going in the first place and to give it the, the idea of an independent chair, which we recommended, which was very, very important to hold the ring initially. But in the end, a professional leadership body is exactly that. It is leading the professions and it therefore must come from the professions in the first place. So that, that's the ultimate objective. But the first thing is just to, it needs to come together, work out its, you know, its own terms of reference and exactly how it's going to proceed and bring together the key bodies involved so that they can work out how to work together to deliver that. Yeah. Excellent. But I don't think we ever, we've ever envisaged this as being some huge organisation. It isn't. It's there to facilitate collaboration between the existing organisations. Right. So are they are they anticipating, therefore, because it says there should be a kind of small secretariat making sure that this sort of does things, that that government would fund upon that? Um, I think that, I mean, it, it's for the chief pharmacist to comment on that, but I think it would be surprising if, if, if there wasn't some initial funding for yeah, that. Yeah, initially, of sorts, yeah. To be honest, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think that. Uh, and I would imagine that, that, that other bodies may um, second people in some shape or form. That's a really good interview with Nigel there, Rob. Uh, some fascinating insights into the uh, the what's and the why's of all of this. Um, really interesting, I thought, on what, what actually is professional leadership or good professional leadership anyway, and, and maybe why we've failed to get this right in pharmacy up to this point. Also interesting, I thought, um, on the difference between leadership and representation, for example, and the does it matter thing. Um, Nigel, very clear on that as well. Well, Rob, having talked to, to Nigel and reflected a little bit, what struck you uh, about his comments? Uh, thanks, Richard. I mean, like you, I, I, I pick out some of those, those key things. I, I think one of the things that I I was very pleased to hear him talk about was the fact that um, in reflecting on why professional leadership was important, he he actually, I think, answered a question that's been bubbling up for some people is what, why are the why is the government's chief officers involved in this issue? And and the simple answer to that is really because they all have um, strategies, maybe slightly different in different parts of the United Kingdom, but they've all got plans for better, bigger, better plans for the use of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. And they need a profession. They need professional leadership to um, to sit alongside that and to argue the case and to do some of the developments and to support some of the activities that they that they have in mind for the for the um the short and medium term and even long-term future of, of the profession and so i thought it was helpful that nigel talked a little bit about that and i i think it's also um you know we spent quite a lot of time discussing that whole why is what's in it for me question um and i i think he explains some of that really quite quite well because the whole thing is it's a little bit in in the sky isn't it you know people look at this uh the these recommendations think well i don't really see you know i i've i've maybe lost contact with my professional body i'm, I'm not that interested i don't it doesn't appear to do anything for me and yet here's a here's a, a commission which says it is important and this is why and therefore we need to coordinate it we need to make sure that the various strands of professional leadership that exist within uh 
the pharmacy professions are, are connected and collaborating with each other if we're going to get the best outcomes, not just for the professionals, but also for the patients and the public. Yeah, that um, that issue of accountability, Rob, I, I thought that was a really interesting one, an interesting area of conversation. Because look, here we have a body, um, if you call it a body, not sure what you call it, really, the, the pharmacy, pharmacy Leadership Council, anyway, with um, with key functionaries who are going to be effectively appointed by the NHS and the government uh, through the chief pharmacist in the first instance. Anyway, and I think this will be an issue of concern to many in the profession. And I wondered, is there a conflict here? And you're right, Nigel made the point, didn't he, that, um, well, first of all, it's going to be a transitional thing. And um, in your conversation, he pointed to the Royal College of Physicians, didn't he, as an example of, uh, of what this body could look like. And I think the Royal College of Physicians, if I if I understand this correctly, does make appointments uh, itself alongside elected representatives where it feels it needs to. So that that was an interesting analogy. But I mean, ultimately, you know, the profession itself has to own this, doesn't it? The council has to make these appointments where it deems necessary in, in due course. That's what's important. And it's it's not a blueprint, is it, Rob? This is this is just a kind of framework for development. It's certainly not someone saying to the profession, you know, ultimately we think this is what the leadership body should look like. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it, if you go back to the beginning of this, this whole commission exercise, um, I mean, we were just talking, talking before we started about what you know why did this come about yeah i can't remember if i'm pretty where, where, where did this because this kind of kind of came out of the blue didn't it it did and so there was a um there was an initial a statement uh a letter which was sent to registered pharmacy professionals in the uk back in june last year an open letter and it uh, announcing the establishment of this commission to which a lot of people might have said oh right you know what needs fixing and that, but that even that letter is a little bit um, quiet, really. On it talks about professional leadership. Professional leadership has never been so important. There are significant changes impacting on the pharmacist and pharmacy technician professions. We need to ensure the professions are well equipped with a voice to help shape the future, enabled to develop through sharing and learning from best practice. Um, and then we've obviously heard from uh, Nigel about how um, a number of the things that they identified at the time around education training expanding clinical roles and and um, sitting alongside the regulator and, and making sure that whole system works effectively. Um, but clearly there was something that, that wasn't quite right in the in the minds of the four uh, government chief pharmaceutical officers for them to get together to do this. And I suppose if we think back to what was happening immediately prior to the um, to the establishment of this commission, Richard, we were busy writing and also talking on the podcast about some things that had concerned uh, a number of people, quite in fact, quite a few people in in the profession about what had been going on at the RPS, about um, what some who were involved around the time when the General Pharmaceutical Council and the Royal Pharmaceutical Societies is now what became two bodies out of the old RPSGB joint uh, regulator and leadership uh, body, um, that something had, that what people thought was an initial plan for that had somehow got lost over the last 10 or 12, 15 years. And, and 
you know, things were happening, particularly at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, that met, that raised a few eyebrows. Um, not least some of the internal changes, which for some put a question mark against the RPS's interests and intentions in following through on the direction of travel around edu education, support for education and everything that goes alongside that. But then also, I suppose the one that shocked quite a lot of people was the withdrawal from engagement with FIP, um, a body which the RPS not only was part of, or the previous iteration of the RPS was not only part of founding, um, but it had been a fundamental building block of for over a century, including very, very recently in the last five years, hosting the the World Congress um, and the rather mealy-mouthed explanation about why that was a good thing. So questions were sort of being raised and then this comes out on the back of it, which I think actually restates why leadership and professional leadership in a body is important, um, regardless of the, the sort of noises off that were happening within one of the leadership bodies. Uh, yeah, so, yeah that's where it started i, I think. think so yeah i i that you know is it is it coincidental with, with events last year um that were going on elsewhere well maybe not but I, you know i think the the um uh, the co-chairs in the report it is quite clear about you know pharmacy has lacked um they think you know collective leadership with the with the the credibility, if you like, to, to shape the future, and 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 I think I, I think the report actually makes the point that the governments and, and NHS leaders, you know, depend on this authoritative professional leadership to shape policy, and and pharmacy's voice is is, is disjointed, and and I think when you look at events at, at the RPS last year, it probably you know falls into line with that. I I'm interested. I I wonder whether um, some people are expecting the commission actually to be much harder on the role uh, of the MPS, of oh, sorry, the RPS, but it's still very challenging, isn't it? Um, it's quite clear that it believes mistakes were made uh, or opportunities missed, perhaps a better way of putting it, that, that post-split in 2010, um, you know, not including pharmacy technicians as associate members, for example, or, I don't know, making the assembly too unwieldy, so it lacks the kind of coherence to, to provide that, that common unified voice. Um, maybe that was was part of it as well. So, yes, I think perhaps events last year may be concentrated minds, but we've had a, a failure of collective leadership in the profession for a while now. And and, and I guess that you know the the chiefs probably thought we need to to move this this debate on. Um, there were some other interesting things in your conversation, though, Rob. Um, let's just pick out a. A few of them. Um, right at the end, actually, so something that really struck me, I think you called it professional socialization and how um, we've missed that, you know, and that there isn't enough kind of connection locally amongst pharmacists and um, peer support, if you like. And, and that was a really important aspect of the, of the commission's report, wasn't it? Um, do, do you see that as, uh, as something that needs to be put in place and has actually damaged the profession because it's fallen away a little bit in recent years. Yeah, I think it came up in the conversation with Nigel because I've had several conversations since this uh, this commission report came out with with um, with people in the profession. And one of the things that we've talked about is how we how we as individuals first first um, interacted with the professional body. And okay, 
maybe a little bit difficult for you and, I, and I'm older than you to actually think back <laughs> that far. But what I do remember was as a as a first year student at the University of Nottingham in the first term, getting on a coach. Yes, and going up and, to Lambeth. And be, well, no, no, we were bussed to, oh. I think if I remember rightly, it would have been a lecture theatre in a, in a, in a hospital, on a hospital site. Oh, right. Where the local branch was meeting. Oh, yeah. And, and therefore, we were straight away pitched into um, a, a, a room full of practising pharmacists. And the whole thing was billed as, you're going to be joining this profession and engagement starts here. And we're going to go and see, get a little bit of a flavour of, of how... Um, professionals and in practice now how how they get together and what they talk about and um that seems to i mean if i remember that now that was quite significant that was quite a significant thing and i think that um you know over the years local branches changed slightly but where where are those opportunities now for people across the profession and the profession has got many more roles and many more activities being done within it now than there was when I mean basically you either worked in the community sector or you worked in the hospital and uh, pharmacists who worked in the pharmaceutical industry was rare as hen's teeth and obviously because I was at Nottingham um, there was a large pharmaceutical manufacturing business not so far away and therefore we did have an opportunity to meet pharmacists who work in the industry from time to time but where does that happen now and therefore what's interesting over the over the years and you see this in the way that the commissioners reflected on the the different forms of leadership including of specialist groups that people have found new ways to contact uh, you know of, to engage with people with um the sim with similar interests or similar specialist areas of practice and those things, in some cases, have got, are extremely well developed and are, are significant, as, as, as Nigel said, are significant parts of the professional landscape. Um, but the cross-cutting stuff, the stuff that actually brings people together from different sectors is a little bit more, little bit more difficult to find, I guess. And if, if what you want is, uh, and what the chief pharmacists want, as they you know, survey the whole of health and care, is they want to make sure that pharmacists' um, professional skills and the skills of pharmacy technicians are being utilised across the space, and therefore, if you uh, if you if your leadership structures perpetuate thinking and acting in silos, then I can see the need why they want to try and encourage that. It's really interesting that the chapter that looks at some of that uh, nas local, national, international. Uh, leadership I think plays that message quite strongly so an interesting thing also I think about the appointment of the commission it's a fascinating group of people brought together from this and I think from the comments that individual members of the commission have written at the start of each of the chapters you can see the value of, of that they got out of being pitched into a multi-professional multi-sectoral discussion and having to think very very seriously about the sort of things that they might need in their individual practice that would take them to the next level or in, ensure that the next 
service is operating effectively and and then they're then challenged to say well who's going to help you do that and what's the role that professional leadership might play in that and i think that's really the value and maybe that's something in there where because there has been criticism that um this commission and nigel was very clear that this is a you know theory transitional temporary whatever word you want to use if if the various bodies that make up pharmacy professional leadership in its in its wider context now actually do work together collaborate and there are some outputs that are you know taking things forward in a particular way does that body need to continue but i think the commission itself shows the value of a little bit of selection um, and just saying okay what would really good look like if we want to get some answers um because election is an imperfect system uh anybody who reads the news i think probably thinks that but um you know maybe a, a bit of both is not a bad thing no uh, a bit of both is definitely a good thing i think certainly to, to start off with um so just to finish up rob let's what let's talk about um what happens next now the 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 commission's come up with um um, a time frame. I mean, it wants to see, you know, this this transition to the new structures uh, within five years. So some of this is is quite long term. Other things they want to really crack on with very quickly, and that's important, isn't it, to to inject some momentum into all of this things around the scope of practice and the appointment of the uh, uh, of the independent chair. So it's a mixture of short term and long term. Obviously, people have to to read through the report and and. and make their own minds up about it um but i'm just thinking is five years too long i mean is, is this thing just going to drift along uh, and lose all the momentum and, and we don't get anywhere is it just a little bit too leisurely uh it, it might be but i think you've got to be in, in one way you've got to be realistic and some of these things are are i guess intractable problems that have been going on for a while and therefore putting some kind of time frame around it at least you know, you start off with the aim in mind. If they can be done quicker, that's that's fine. I don't think, I don't think working on uh, and really developing scopes of practice is a is a five minute job. Uh, one thing I would say about appointment as well, uh, uh, certainly an element of that is that it gets you past that debate which we're really good at in pharmacy, which is talking about who's around the table and. I think it's very clear in, in this that function comes first. And these these functional elements, the outputs, are more important right now. Um, and getting the, getting the right bodies around the table by, in some cases, selecting them is, is, is a way forward. And then obviously an independent chair to not just chair the thing, but to keep, I think, to try and put some energy into the process and to keep people to time, because we all know, I mean, particularly when you start getting into, you know, wicked issues, uh, some people like to call them, then those things are, if, if they were simple, they'd have been fixed a, lot, a while ago. They're not easy, some of these things to fix. Um, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about supervision, didn't we, and how, how challenging that that is um, to think differently about the future. So I think I think there are a mix of things that could be done relatively quickly i think it's encouraging as the commission points out that a number of the things that they think are fundamental to professional leadership we're building on firm foundations whether that's within a specialist group or 
or within one of the three you know main leadership bodies that they that they pick out as as crucial to the process going forward so it's not as if there's a completely blank sheet of paper um so you know i i'm sure that if they'd could have thought they could realistically say three years they would have said that but at least it's not a decade because i don't think we've got a decade have we i mean let's face it in one respect one of the big issues that is not that far around the corner is three years away which is every single pharmacist who joins the register is going to be an independent prescriber and so the, there is a time horizon there when some of these things need to be worked through um, and, and therefore there's a there's a to me there's a little bit of a practical thing here about about the the balance between um, the balance in setting a timeline that's realistic but also achievable without stretching out into infinity yeah I mean I, I actually you know I was kind of being a bit provocative I think the balance is about right uh, because you do need to um, you know there's a lot to do you need to it'll take a while you know to get people on board and you've got to be realistic haven't you I think you, you definitely need some staging posts along the way to inject this momentum into it but I think probably for the scale of change that we're talking about fundamental change isn't it here this is not cosmetic um, probably five years is uh, is about right and I think you know, maybe to finish, Rob, I, just a, you know, a closing thought from me. I think it's very, you know, people, it's important that, that people, pharmacists and our leadership bodies, you know, don't feel, shouldn't feel threatened, you know, by, by any of this. Um, we need a clear distinction between professional leadership and representation. And I think it's well worth you know, almost listening to that section of the interview again um, with Nigel because he's very clear on that. But, but fundamentally, what we're talking about here is is a very aspirational and, and positive thing, isn't it? Anything that advances practice, raises standards, um, improves the, the the professional opportunities and working lives of pharmacists, and therefore improves patient care as well, has to be a, a good thing. You know, it's, it shouldn't be seen as a a threatening thing it should be seen as a, a as a very positive thing that goes hand in hand with pharmacists um developing their role and at a pace you know Nigel made the point about you know covid and and, and vaccinations you know here is a profession absolutely ready willing and able to do more and to do more quickly turn things around incredibly quickly pharmacists can it just needs the right supportive framework and structures in place to enable him to do that so you know i think it's uh, it's gonna be really interesting following this process through and reporting on it isn't it I, I agree and if it's one final thought for me i think that we forget because it's in the past and and um unless you've got a particular um, interest in how things came about in the first place we, we forget where a lot of this comes from you know the the, the leadership body uh, obviously the apt uk is a much younger organisation, and in some respects, in its development, it, it's 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 got a, a way to go to even be in a similar position that the that the pharmacist professional bodies are in right now. But you know, in the history of the RPS from the early days in eighteen forty one, the body that exists now is built on the on the ambitions and the aspirations of. Uh, people who at the time would have been regular members of uh, what started off as a trade, but then 
people who aspire to something better and bigger. Um, and, you know, some of the characters who were around in the early days, they they lobbied Parliament. They got themselves elected as MPs and thrown out again for being elected in a rotten borough, by the way, uh, if you look at um, Jacob Bell, purely to get what they believed was essential for the protection of the public and the safety that, that their role as the purveyors and the and the, the people skilled in the use, the, the manufacturer or the making and the use of medicines got to be the people that had that kept people safe and they went to court they they went to parliament they got acts of parliament passed they then as the organization developed and as the role of pharmacists was was actually codified in law other things happened where they said well actually if we have a leadership body which is about public safety aspiration excellence raising pharmacy above others who might in the olden days have had interests in the same kind of things then we also can't do other bits and therefore you know the the npa started out as a something that that the professional leadership body couldn't do at the time there was a thing called the proprietary articles trade association which fell out of um the pharmaceutical society because it was something else that a body committed to leadership in in the people doing the job couldn't do and I think that there are some so many great lessons from history that this whole commission is the next generation of that sort of leadership of and and I think um, so there are firm foundations and some of those foundations go back nearly 200 years absolutely fascinating some of that stuff no, it, it, it is fascinating and uh, probably a good time to quash the, the rumour, Rob, that you were sitting in the, the pub with Jacob Bell around that time. Um, well, the Cran Lanka, though, yeah, I could tell you where it was, <laughs> but I, no, I wasn't there. I'm going to finish, because um, this is kind of encapsulated it for me, just by quoting something I read uh, from Jane Dacre, Dame Jane Dacre, one of the um, the, the co-chairs of the of the commission, um, kind of addressing the, you know, well, why, you know, what difference is this going to make to me, you know, as a as a, a jobbing pharmacist, if you like. And she says, well, this is quoting her now. Well, it, it's about uh, providing hope. We would like to create something that makes pharmacists feel proud in their profession, getting pharmacists noticed uh, to be a part of the solution for the crisis that there is in, in the the health service and opening doors she goes on for younger pharmacists who who previously felt that things like this you know weren't relevant to them i mean they are they are noble sentiments and let's be honest um who could argue with any of that 